1: Thank you, Lindsay. Um, well, good morning. Good to see you all. Um, my name is Reed Kappel. I serve as the, the campus pastor of Christ Community here at the Aletha campus. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, you kiddos, we're glad you're here. VBS, if, you're, if you're in VBS, raise your hand. I just want to see my VBSers. All right, look at that. We are so glad you guys are here in service with us, and if you didn't get this, we talk about this every week, but our Kid Connect, if you didn't get a Kid Connect, grab one of these. It's a great way to kind of follow along with the sermon. We have some for ages 3 to 6 and 7 to 12, and if you fill it out, bring it to the welcome table, you get some candy, so that's a fun little treat, but it was a great joy to be with you guys at VBS. It was a ton of fun, and so thanks for letting me share the, the week with you, and so, and again, thank you to those who were involved and volunteered and served, and so, yeah, just super thankful for your time. Uh, well, I wanted to uh, share a story I, I read recently uh, about a, a young man uh, several years ago who was studying abroad uh, in London, he was from another country, and, and while he was there, in his studies of law, he became very interested in the teachings of Jesus, and, and it led him to the point of actually deciding to read the Scriptures, and he began reading the Scriptures and, and grew in his interest, and it led him to the point of visiting a local church. And he went down to this neighborhood parish in his, in his community and inquired of the minister there, was hoping to inquire of the minister there on how to become a Christian. And as he approached the doors of the church, he was greeted by an usher. And this usher, who clearly saw that this young man was not a normal European, uh, because he was actually from I- India. And because of his ethnicity, this usher told him That he was not welcome. And he told him that he should actually go and worship with those like him. Now, this obviously disappointed and frustrated this young man who was going to the church to inquire more about who this Jesus of Nazareth was and what it means to follow him. So, this young man left and never returned. And many years later, he he recounted this story of his interaction with the church in his autobiography. And in it, in in retelling the story, he says these words. He says, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. (laughs) And this young man, you may know, uh, was Mahatma Gandhi. And and there's a story that Gandhi is told in various settings, uh, but but whether you're a Christian or or a Hindu or an atheist, wherever you are in kind of the religious spectrum You have to admit there's a sense of of frustration or even righteous anger or outrage when you hear that story. Regardless of your view of the church, you have to see that what Gandhi experienced was not the way it ought to be, that the church of all places should be a place where outsiders and strangers are welcome, and yet that was not Gandhi's experience And it should be the one place where this kind of interaction would never happen, but unfortunately, it is something that happens more commonly than perhaps we're willing to admit. And I think it's because the church doesn't often reflect the mission she was called to in being sent for one another. And it's because of this reason that it's so vitally important that we actually return to our series in the book of Acts entitled "Sent." If you, if you were with us uh, several weeks and months ago, we started our series entitled "Sent" in the book of Acts at the beginning of this year. And in the book of Acts, just to kind of bring you up to speed as to where we are, the book of Acts is actually the second half of a two-part volume uh, that Luke, the historian and physician, wrote uh, in chronicling the story of the birth of the church. The first part is the gospel of Luke, and the second part of his volume is the book of Acts. And so we're jumping back into the book of Acts to see the story of the church, the mission she has been sent on, and the mission that we as the church of Jesus Christ today are still called to fulfill. And if you remember, we we hit pause after we we told the story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who was referred to as Saul. Uh, Saul was a persecutor of the church and, and his conversion we took, pl- took place in chapter 9, and after that we hit pause and we pivoted to the, gospel, uh, the, the, the letter of the, to the Galatians by the Apostle Paul. And, and the reason why we did that is because we wanted to take a deeper look, a deeper dive into the gospel message that has propelled this church forward. And so as we spent time in Galatians, we saw this gospel message that was truly at the heart of this people called together by Christ, empowered by the Spirit, to be the hope of the world. And after concluding our series in Galatians, we jump back into the book of Acts, starting in chapter 10. And and we come to this rather crucial moment in the history of the church as we see this opportunity, this interaction between Cornelius, the centurion, and Peter, the apostle, And in this interaction, what we will come to see is that the church is awakened more and more to her mission to be sent for one another, that the mission of the church in this interaction between Cornelius and Peter, that the church has been sent for one another. But before we jump in, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 10, but I want to pray for our time before we jump in. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. Lord, I want to, to believe in what I am proclaiming, that, that this, is, this is truly your word given to us for our good and for your glory, but it is also, Lord, a story rooted in history in real time and space, so Lord, help us to see its truth. May we, Lord, as your church, be, be aligned with the mission you have called us to. And so, Lord, if there's anything true that is said today, may we hear it and respond to it. And if there's anything that I say that is false, Lord, would it be forgotten and disregarded? So, Lord, would you edify us and would you honor and glorify yourself as we unpack this text from Acts 10? Lord, we pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So let me, let me kind of set the stage. So, so uh, Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9, we saw these two very interesting conversion stories. The first was of Philip the eunuch. And so, so Philip was this kind of outsider in terms of the, the people of, of Israel. And Philip has come to faith in Christ Jesus. Then we see the conversion of Saul, who is later Paul, who was a persecutor of the church. And both of them, which is a huge understatement, but both of them are unlikely candidates of being brought in to the church of Jesus Christ, and yet they are welcomed in as if they had been a part their whole lives. And this sets the stage of this next conversion story. So we have Philip the eunuch, Saul the persecutor of the church, and we now have our stage set for this next conversion story that we see in the interaction between Cornelius and Peter. And this, this narrative actually, is, it's, it's the longest narrative in all of the book of Acts, which is saying something because there's some long stretches of narrative in the book of Acts. But additionally, it's, it's also the most repeated narrative in the book of Acts. Because Luke wants us to see how vitally important it is that the church in this moment, the church's scope of its mission is being widened both in terms of geography, but also in terms of social status. of of these demographics of different people, the the scope of the church and its mission is being widened here. And so what I want to do this morning, I mean, the the story is so remarkable in and of itself, I kind of just want to get out of the way of it and just tell its story, because it's a beautiful story. And so what I want to do, I want to tell the story in, in three parts, there's kind of three chapters, if you will. And the first chapter is the chapter of the Curious Centurion. So we are introduced to Cornelius, and Cornelius uh, is referred to as a centurion, and a centurion was a Roman soldier or commander who oversaw a hundred other Roman soldiers. And so that's, that's where you know the word century, you know, you see that a hundred-year centurion, hundred men and he was a part of the italian cohort and cornelius himself being a centurion he was uniquely positioned he had a, he had kind of a higher social status but also centurions made close to about five times as much money as a normal roman soldier so this guy was making bank he's got money and he has a status that is very prominent but additionally, something that's very interesting about Cornelius is that Cornelius more than likely is named after uh, the, the former uh, Roman governor or general, Cornelius Sulla, who actually in 82 BC, he freed over 10,000 slaves in the Roman Empire. And these 10,000 slaves were actually, they were so attached to Cornelius Sulla that many of them adopted his name and passed it down to their relatives. And many historians and commentators actually believe that this Cornelius in our text is a descendant of one of those freed slaves. And so Cornelius is this man that was a very interesting history and background. But additionally, Luke gives us a little bit more of an account of who this man is. Because again, Luke is not just writing these religious stories. He's accounting about real people in real time and space. And Luke tells us a little bit more about Cornelius. In verse two it says, Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household, he gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that, that Cornelius was a worshiper of Yahweh of the God of Israel, and it doesn't mean that he was a follower of Jesus, because we actually see, as the text kind of unfolds, is that Cornelius still needs to be converted. He needs to come to faith in Christ. And yet, he is still at this very kind of high level, has a high level sympathy uh, for religion uh, and for spirituality to some degree. And he's quite a generous person to boot. And so, so Luke is painting a very positive picture of Cornelius. And yet, there's something missing. There's something standing in his way. Even though he is seeking after God, something is keeping him from being all in. And yet, God honors his seeking by revealing himself to him through a vision, and in this vision, an angel of the Lord essentially tells Cornelius, you're on the right path, you're moving in the right direction, you're inching closer and closer to Jesus, and as a way to draw you in, let me give you some instruction, and so the angel instructs Cornelius to send some of his men to Joppa and to find the apostle Peter. And so Cornelius does so with, with joy and eagerness. There, there's this excitement to fulfill this mission that he's been given by this angel of the Lord. So Cornelius does so, and then Luke turns our attention from the curious centurion to the confused apostle. So chapter two, the confused apostle. So Peter, just like Cornelius, also receives a vision. His vision is a little bit different, and Luke says, it says that the Lord shows Peter And it refers to, it's actually Jesus who's making this vision clear to Peter, and he shows up to Peter while Peter was was hungry and waiting for dinner, okay? So that kind of colors some of this vision. And and Luke records first in verse 11 that Peter, uh, as he was waiting for dinner, he saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air." And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So you've got to wonder, I mean, how hungry must Peter have been to have had this vision that where the Lord is asking him to eat reptiles? I mean, like any of you kids, would you eat a reptile if you were asked to do that? Some of you would. Okay, good, good. I'm glad that some people are paying attention. But I mean, like what, what's kind of going through, through Peter's mind? Like what is God instructing him to do? And so Cornelius, he, he has a different vision, but he also has a different response to the vision in comparison to Cornelius. Because if you remember, Cornelius responds by saying, okay, great, I'll send men to Joppa and inquire of this apostle named Peter. But how does Peter respond to the vision that Jesus gives him? Well, Luke shows this, it says in verse 14, Peter says to Jesus, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, if you're familiar with Peter, Peter has this pesky problem of telling Jesus no, which is just like, if there's one guy you're going to say no to, it shouldn't be Jesus. But Peter, time and time again, finds himself saying no to Jesus. But in, in his defense, this, it's not this flat-out refusal, because the word that Luke uses in describing Peter's interaction with Jesus, it has a tone of respect, it's kind of like, you know, if you're at someone's house and they offer you more of their meatloaf that their grandmother had, you know, passed this recipe down, you say, oh, thanks, but no thanks. You know, you're, you're, you're refusing it. You're, you're denying it. You're doing it so politely, but everyone knows you hate it, basically, you know. But that's kind of what Peter's doing in this setting, that he's respectfully declining this command that Jesus is giving him. And so how does Jesus respond to Peter's response? Look at verse 15. Jesus declares to Peter in this moment, it is so integral, what God has made clean, do not call common. In this moment, Jesus is wanting to get Peter's attention. He's wanting to make clear to Peter in his heart that he must reorient his categories of what he thinks as being clean and unclean. That Jesus, in this moment, he's wanting Peter to see that the mission of God is expanding and widening to the point that no one can be so unclean that Jesus can't make them clean. That no one can be so different or strange that they could not be invited into the family. That no one can be so far off that they can't be brought near. But Peter doesn't seem to get it. As Jesus is making this vision clear to him, and you may not have noticed it, like I I started laughing when I caught this in verse 16. It says, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to heaven. So so this vision that, that, that Jesus gives Peter, he has to do it not once, not twice, three times to this brother. Like what is going on in Peter's mind? Like, Can you run that back one more time? just let's let's do it one more time, like what is going on? And then Luke actually shows, even after seeing this vision three times, Luke says that Peter is still inwardly perplexed. I just love that, like this guy is dense. I mean, I need things repeated for me, you know? But what is going on in Peter's mind? I mean, you've gotta wonder, is he hearing this instruction from Jesus like, are you wanting me to like make the world's weirdest cookbook? Like what are you giving me? Like reptile rigatoni or something? Like what is he wanting me to do in this moment? But what's so fascinating, and this is is so cool, it's not until Peter is face to face with Cornelius that he begins to see what this vision that Jesus gave him was all about. It's not until he's rubbing shoulders with this man who is supposedly unclean in his mind. It's not until Cornelius plays the role of host and Peter plays the role of guest that Peter begins to see what Jesus was showing to him in this vision. But, but Luke records us, for us, Peter's kind of, at the scale's kind of coming off his eyes, and you're, you're kind of wondering where he's going, he says in verse 28, he says, so, so this is Peter before Cornelius and all of his bros, and Peter's speaking, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So you're like, Peter, where are you going with this, dude? Like, this is, you're not starting out well. But then, I mean, you can almost sense like Peter's eyes being opened, his perspective being widened as it says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So in this moment, as Peter is face-to-face with this Gentile centurion soldier who by all accounts, according to Peter, is an outsider, is unclean, Peter is beginning to see and show signs that his perspective Is widening as it pertains to the Gentiles, who the Jews have always kind of declared as unclean and outsiders. And so, in this moment, God is definitively telling Peter through Christ Jesus, there are no longer barriers that can keep people out of my family, that there are no longer walls or classifications so great that would preclude anyone from being able to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. And be declared a member of the household of God. And it's in this, this moment, it is this, in, in this moment where we're starting to see this, this growing catalytic community begin to take shape. And so, so Luke, I mean, throughout the book of Acts, we see these kind of amazing stories and these kind of big picture summaries of what's going on in the church. But this is one of these moments where Luke wants us to kind of look at the story of the church with this microscope and see this is a central point in the history of the church as she began to adopt her mission and her identity as a group of people sent for one another. And so Luke then turns our attention from the curious centurion, from the confused apostle, to the catalytic church. Now, one of the things that I I love about this story is is the irony, and and if, if you've read the Bible, I mean, like, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, you, man, you have not read the Bible. But what I love about this is that how does God begin his mission of the church being sent to all peoples and to the Gentiles, he does it by bringing Gentiles to the church. It it doesn't start by the church going out to those outsiders, to those dirty, unclean Gentiles, but rather how does God bring the mission of the church into full focus? He does it by sending Gentiles to the church. You clearly see the hand of God at work in moving the mission of the church forward as they seek to live into this identity of being sent for one another. Because in this moment between Peter and Cornelius, it's, it's a catalytic moment, as I mentioned. But w- the reason why it's catalytic is because we're starting to see these walls that existed between Jews and Gentiles being torn down. We're starting to see room being made for, for others at the, at the table of Christ Jesus. Jesus. And we're starting to see the categories of inferiority and superiority being upended. And we see it as Peter proclaims these beautiful words in verses 34 and 35. Again, you're seeing, I mean, it's almost like you're seeing Peter's transformation as he is growing more and more in the image of Christ, as his understanding of the gospel and the mission of the church is being clarified in this narrative. And Luke shows us in verse 34, as Peter says, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, no favoritism. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So Jesus showed Peter that every person from every nation, from every culture, from every background can be, through Christ Jesus, can be acceptable and welcomed in the sight of God. That there are now no longer these human barriers or categories that divide and diminish and devalue others, but rather that all peoples are now welcome and all cultures are welcome. But what that doesn't mean, let me be clear... That's not to say that every part of your culture and my culture is welcomed and accepted and affirmed by Jesus, but rather that there is nothing about your culture or your identity that can keep you from Jesus. There's nothing about one's culture, ethnicity, or background that can keep us from Jesus. In fact, what Jesus does is refines and redeems the parts of our identity and our culture to be used for the purposes of the church. And from this message, from from this message that Peter is beginning to proclaim to these Gentile brothers who are before him, the church grew in remarkable ways as she embraced her, her identity as a multicultural institution, as she embraced her posture of mutual hospitality, and as she embraced her mission of being sent for one another the church began to grow as they started to adopt and believe more clearly the message that Peter declared in verse 43, where in referring to Jesus, he says, to him, Jesus, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And to make it even more abundantly clear, that there is now no longer any kind of classification that should keep people apart if they are in Christ Jesus. What we see is God's kind of stamp of approval of Peter's message as he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell these unclean, dirty, outsider Gentiles. Look at with me at verses 44 and 45. It says, The Holy Spirit in that moment fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, so the Jewish people, we can't get away from that word, I guess. We've got to keep talking about circumcision. But, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The same spirit that came upon those at Pentecost. If you remember back earlier in chapter two of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit being sent upon the people of Israel, of all these different people groups within the people of Israel, this same Holy Spirit is being poured out on the Gentiles. It is God's way of saying, there is no longer any kind of distinction whatsoever between people groups, between cultures, that through Christ Jesus all are brought in, that nothing can stand in God's way of bringing outsiders into this new community. Which is why Peter himself, when when he retells the story, so again, this narrative between Cornelius and Peter, it's the most repeated narrative in all of Acts. And so when Peter, when he retells this story in chapter 11, uh, when he goes back to Jerusalem and recounts this story to the other apostles and, and followers of Jesus, Peter boldly declares in verse 17, he says, if then God gave the same gift to them, to the Gentiles, as, a, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who is I mean, if, if, if God is going to pour out the, Holy, the same Holy Spirit that was poured out upon the apostles is now being poured out on these unclean, dirty, outsider Gentiles, Peter's starting to realize, who am I to keep them at arm's length? And so in this story, again, we're seeing this moment of the church starting to see with greater clarity, with a wider perspective, her mission and being sent for one another, for all peoples. And it's an amazing story. Not only is it amazing because it's, it's a great story and it's a catalytic story, but, but in this story, the church's mission is clarified and magnified. That the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is clarified and magnified in this moment. That the mission of being sent, uh, the church's mission of being sent is not simply sent to outsiders, but that the church has been sent for one another. Or let, let me put it this way. In, in other words, what the story of Peter and Cornelius is showing us is that Cornelius needed Peter just as much as Peter needed Cornelius. That, that the church in Galatia at that time needed the church in Jerusalem. That the church in Rome needed the church in Antioch. And what that means today is that the church in Olathe needs the church in Rwanda. That when we talk about the mission of the church, it's not just that all are welcome, although that's true, but it's that all are needed. That in God's economy, no one person or one culture can be seen as inferior or superior to any other. But more than just saying, through Jesus, we all now have equal worth and value, that's true. The message of the gospel that the church has been commissioned with is a message that says that we all have equal necessity. That there's a sense in which we need one another to fulfill the mission of the church. That it's not just all are welcome, but that all who are in Christ Jesus are needed. Being sent to all peoples. Let me, let me say this really clearly. Being sent to all peoples, which is the mission of the church, being sent to all peoples is not just the church's mission to be a blessing, but it is a blessing to the church itself to be a church for all peoples. Let me say that again. Being sent to all peoples is not just the church's mission to be a blessing, but it is a blessing to the church itself to be a church for all peoples. I mean, imagine how different Gandhi's life would have been. And obviously, you know, you know, hypotheticals are not always that helpful, but imagine the outcome of Gandhi's life. If that usher at that church would have believed the mission of the church as being sent for one another. I mean, imagine if that usher believed that he needed Gandhi just as much as Gandhi needed him. Imagine the outcome in his life. Because you see, the story of Cornelius and Peter, it's not simply about welcoming in outsiders, although it is absolutely that. But also what we see in the story, it's not just Cornelius' conversion, but it is the ongoing conversion, is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in Peter's life in awakening him to the reality that the church is sent to outsiders and insiders. That's really what's going on in this story between Cornelius and Peter. That the church is sent, yes, to outsiders, but also to insiders. Yes, the gospel is a message that we must believe about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. That it is a message for outsiders who do not know Jesus that they might repent and believe and be forgiven and restored to God. But it is also simultaneously a message for those that believe it and yet need to be reformed and refined and brought back to it each and every day. Why? Because we tend to deviate from the mission of the church and being sent for one another, and we tend to deviate from the gospel that declares that through Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham has been brought to all peoples. With that in mind, if we understand that the mission of the church is not just to outsiders, but it is also for insiders, that we need this gospel message to be refined, that we need to be reoriented each and every day, how should we then respond if the church is sent to outsiders and insiders? So let me offer a few things for us to consider. The first is this. When we think about the church being sent for outsiders and insiders, the first is that we need to be willing to confront our own partiality. So when we see the story of Peter, I mean, Peter clearly had this kind of division, this separation, these categories of people. And, and we have to be willing to ask our own selves, what, who, are, who are the people? What are the categories? Who are the, the, the people groups or the individuals that we have declared unclean? Who are the people that, that like Peter, we say, by no means, Lord. And, and, and it may not be a people group, it may be a person, it may be someone in this room, maybe someone you live with, someone you work with, someone in your neighborhood. Who are the people that we have pushed aside, that we have said, you're not welcome here? Or, or to maybe to, to phrase it another way is, is, who is someone you would feel so uncomfortable with if they showed up and sat next to you in church? And, and, and if you're uncomfortable with them, and if they are unclean in your mind, why are they unclean? What are the categories? What, what are the filters? What have you used to declare this person unclean? Is it, is it because of their ethnicity? Is it because of their orientation? Is it because of their political affiliation? Is it because uh, of their income or how they dress? Or, or perhaps they have a certain number of tattoos that make you uncomfortable. What, what are the things that make you see someone as being incapable of love? Do you realize in that moment that perhaps what you're doing by extending this arm is you're actually, you're actually robbing yourself of the blessing of needing that person. So we need to be willing to confront our own partiality. Second, we should be willing to practice hospitality. And I, and I say this because this is exactly what Cornelius did for Peter. So Peter, who's this apostle, who has declared the Gentiles unclean, has been invited in by this unclean Gentile into his home that Peter is, is in the posture of a guest, and he is welcomed in, and it's in that moment of being treated as a guest that Peter begins to see that he has had a narrow perspective of the mission of the church. You see, it's not enough for us to simply just confront our partiality. We have to be willing, as, as theologian Sun Cheng Ra says this so well, he says, we need to move from hostility to hospitality and then to household. It's not enough for us just to get rid of hostility. See, like, like we don't have hostility here. We need to move from hostility to hospitality in order to embrace the identity of the church as the household of faith. We need to, think of it this way, we need to, on a Sunday morning, we need to be willing to share our words and our chairs with people. That we need to be willing to think about our space in this room as an opportunity to extend love and hospitality to people who need it because none of us know fully The weight and the burdens and the stories and the fears and the anxieties that enter through these doors, all of us carry a weight that that none of us can fully see. And Sunday morning is an opportunity for us to be generous and hospitable with our words and with our chairs, to think about who are the people God is calling me to, to love, to extend a hospitable posture towards. But we also need to be willing to share our homes and our tables with those that we work with, with those that we play with, with those that we live in community with. So we should, yes, share our words and our chairs as we gather on Sunday mornings, but we should also share our homes and our tables as we scatter throughout the week. But not only that, we need to be willing to let others share their homes with us. Because remember, the way Peter was awakened to the perspective that God was wanting him to see about the church is that he had to be put into the place of a guest in the home of of an unclean Gentile. Part of what it means to be hospitable is not just to have people over to your house, but to be willing to be the guest in someone else's house. We need to play the role of host and guest. And remember, remember, this is what awakened Peter to the wider scope of the mission of the church. And so so maybe a question with that is, who do you need to be face-to-face with? As Peter was awakened to this reality by being face to face with Cornelius, who is someone in your life that you need to be face to face with? But we don't want to just practice hospitality. Me, let me be clear here: we don't want to just practice hospitality for the sake of hospitality. Like we're not just trying to just create, you know, food to eat together. That's wonderful and great. But how do we how do we do this in such a way that it is displaying the gospel message that we believe as a people? As Tim Keller says that this is really helpful, he says, one of the most crucial ways that the Christian church embodies the gospel is in the unity of Christians who are different from one another, who are different economically, culturally, racially. In general, he says, the job of the church is to show the world that people who cannot live in love and unity outside of Christ can do so in Christ. Christ. That is the mission of the church. And that's where you can say amen. You're allowed to do that. But, but we, we want to see that the gospel compels us to be a people who are brought together not simply so that we can just have meals together, but so that we can display to a watching world that through Christ, those that shouldn't be together can be together. So we need to practice hospitality. But lastly, we need to embrace humility. And I'll close with this. This, this story, again, is not just about God sending his people to the Gentiles, but rather is the story of God sending the Gentiles to his people to awaken them to the fullness of what it means to be the church. Yes, Cornelius was converted to faith in Christ as we saw the Holy Spirit coming upon all who heard, but Peter also, we see in this story, Peter also was yet again converted, so to speak, as he was awakened to the fuller reality of the gospel that is for all peoples, And it took humility for Peter to get there. And it took humility for Cornelius as well. You see, for Peter, he had to be willing to say that Gentiles can now be brought in. And for Cornelius, as a centurion, as a soldier, he had to admit that Jesus, the Messiah, the one that was crucified in a humiliating way, is his Lord and Savior. But just like Peter, the church today needs to be awakened to the message that she proclaims. And we won't be able to do that until we humble ourselves. We need to admit that we are no more clean than anyone else. We need to see ourselves in that sheet that came down from heaven, that we need to identify ourselves with those crawling reptiles that God is saying, because of Christ Jesus, are no longer unclean. We need to humble ourselves by repenting of our tendencies to see ourselves as superior to others of our tendencies to think that we know what is best and of our tendencies to think that we have nothing to gain from those who are different from us. But most importantly, we need to humble ourselves by trusting Jesus, that if we are to embrace this mission that we've been called to, we must trust in the one who humbled himself and became unclean so that you and I might be declared clean forever that we need to humble ourselves before the one who was cast out so that we might be brought in. We need to humble ourselves and trust in the one who was, who was forsaken that we might be forgiven, the one who came for the unfamiliar outsider and for the unaware, blinded insider. And so as we close, I want you to think about where you find yourself in that spectrum. Do you feel like the unfamiliar outsider? If so, Jesus has come to bring you in to declare you righteous and clean and forgiven? Or are you beginning to see yourself as the unaware insider? If that is you, Jesus has come to open your eyes and free you from your partiality and to awaken you to the fullness of the mission that the church is about. And so regardless of where you find yourself on that spectrum, we all need to come to the one who can make us clean, who can bring us in, and who sends us out for one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we do ask that you would, Lord, would you give us a, a big and beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that declares to us that, that yes, because of our sin, we have been declared unclean, and that we have been removed from you, Lord. But thanks be to God that you have made a way that through Christ Jesus becoming unclean on our behalf, we can receive his cleanliness, his righteousness, his perfection. And Lord, I pray that that truth would instill within us an ability and a willingness to see that no one can be declared so unclean that they can't be made clean through you, that no one can be declared so far off that they can't be brought near. Oh Lord, would you do a work in our hearts, Lord, would you speak to those who are outsiders, and would your spirit fall afresh upon them and draw them to yourself and awaken them to the good news of the gospel? And Lord, would you do that for us as blind insiders as well, and help us to see the mission you've called us to, to be sent for one another. Lord, may you do this for the glory of your name and for the good of your people, we pray. Amen.
0: I love that song, and I I love that passage, because I find myself, just like Peter, thinking of myself as an insider that that needs to extend grace toward others. But that song reminds me that, no, I'm the outsider. I'm the one that God has recklessly pursued and abandoned with his love for me, right? I'm the one he has come after. And even in that story, as Peter goes to Cornelius, and then God gently reminds him, no. Peter, you need the gospel too. The mission of the church isn't for your partiality. It is for everyone. It's not just that you're extending grace toward others. No, I, God is the one extending grace and welcoming all people to himself, right? That's the story of, of, of the gospel. It's a story there of Peter. It's a, a story I need to continue to hear. And it reminds me of in Revelation, as a far benediction, when I want to close with a picture of what the church looks like. Not just that all people are included, but that all people are needed for the picture of the church Receive now this benediction from Revelation, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every tribe, nation, and tongue, all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Go in peace.